shirt front, Mr. Putin. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. <laughs> because I want the to do more. you slowly. If you don't vote for the Liberal National Parties, then Anthony Albanese will be the Prime Minister of Australia. Welcome to Edge of the Election, the Edge of the Crowds Politics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and tonight, as always, I'm joined by Joel, but also we have special guests filling in for special guests filling in for Rory, Naomi. So how are the two of you tonight? I'm all right. Uh, Missy on House of the Dragon to be here, so hopefully it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to step into the podcast realm and see how I go. um it's been a quieter week than last week to be fair last week was absolutely insane with the sheer amount of scandals and a lot of the scandals kind of just felt like domino effects um so we're going to start with scott morrison of course because uh if you thought that he was going to take responsibility say that he did the wrong thing um, you didn't pay attention for the past three years of him being in office um, because he did not take any real responsibility and basically like a really shitty parent said that it's your fault that you're upset um, and that he did it for the for our own good and not for any actual substantive reason. Yeah, a bit, bit, bit wild, hey? Um, yeah, it was for, if it was for the public good should be in, in, in the public knowledge, right? Um, is it one, of the, one of the big reasons why that sort of thing is in the public knowledge is for accountability reasons. And so if you don't make it known that you are actually serving these positions, there's no way for the public to hold you accountable. So it's a bit bit ridiculous coming, coming from Morrison, really. Yeah, it's ridiculous and wholly unsurprising at the same time. Like, this is the same guy that said he doesn't hold a hose, um, which it begs the question as to why he took on five additional portfolios because last week when we recorded it was at three then we found out about treasury and home affairs um and i mean he was living with josh frydenberg at the time like frydenberg was in the lodge and he still took frydenberg's job off of him yeah for frydenberg um yeah cock in a few ways there i think but uh yeah well, ScoMo basically said he did what he had to do and that he was saving Australia once again. So if you're going by what he said, he did the right thing, but we're all not too sure on that one. Yeah, I I can't even be charitable about it because of the fact that, like, he didn't tell people. I think that if he admitted it at the time, um, I'd be like, oh, it's kind of kind of crappy, but at the same time, whatever. I'd move on pretty quickly. The whole um, excuse of well, you guys would have gotten mad at me if I told you that I did it. It's like you've made it worse by not telling everyone. People would have moved on. (laughs) Um, And it's not an excuse anymore. Like you're going to get pulled up to ICAC once it establishes itself basically because of this. Yeah, uh, I mean, we might have kicked up a fuss for a few days or something, then we would have been like, oh, whatever, more important things to worry about. It's it's not the biggest deal in the world, right? Like there's been many times in the past where, uh, cabinets have been a bit stacked in terms of the ministry roles everyone has. Um, you know, you can go back a few decades and you know, look at Wikipedia and there's like prime ministers and deputy prime ministers got like dozens of ministries each. And so it's, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, it's just like tell people, you know, and he didn't do it. Um, and, you know, it just sort of part of the course for Arthur Morrison's kind of politicking. Yeah, I think the past four years has kind of proven that he just had all his power and that's all he wanted. So he wasn't going to disclose them anyway, I guess. Yeah. It's also, it's emblematic of how boring this Labor government kind of is, is because this has now been a story for 10 days-ish of people freaking out, whereas we would have probably moved on in about three days um, while Scott Morrison was in charge because something else would have happened. Like Barnaby had a pretty crazy performance on Insiders on um, Sunday. No one's still no one's talking about that. Everyone's still talking about Scott Morrison because Albanese and the Labor government are kind of just boring because they're doing what they're supposed to do <laughs> by governing and we're not used to that. Um, but we might move on to some Vic uh, election news because 
it's a full Victorian panel tonight, so we can talk a little bit more in depth. Um, and as always, it's the Vic Liberals that are causing the news because despite the fact that it lost them the 2018 election in part, Matthew Guy has promised once again to scrap the suburban rail loop and recommitted to the east-west link, both policies that are not particularly popular with the plurality of voters in Melbourne especially, which is kind of where the election is won and lost in Victoria. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to make much sense, right? Um, especially because the, the places that Matthew Guy needs to win are those, uh, those seats that um, that Labor picked off of Liberal back in 2018, right? And I, I just I just feel like those aren't the sort of seats that are going to be won over by this sort of thing. Um, yeah, to my knowledge, the, the, the suburban rail loop is a pretty popular idea. Um, like, I, I know, like, I would benefit a lot from, from that personally. And I, I imagine a lot of other Melbourneans are in a similar position, uh, especially if you, you know, don't own a car or anything. Um so um, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what my figures are. What the long con is here? Uh, turning Melbourne into Sydney by having a million different toll roads, I think, is the intention of the Liberals, um, because I'm sure that their mates are going to get a whole bunch of money out of um, a suburb, not the suburb, out of the East West Link, especially as to whichever private company they sell the tolls to, in particular. Um, I the I don't understand what the Victorian Liberals don't get that solid public uh, transport infrastructure is really popular, um, because it just it flat out it is. Um, it's not like that hard to figure out that whilst not everyone loves living near a train station, everyone loves having easy access to a train station so that they can go out on a Saturday night and not worry about having to pick their car up. Um, or have to pay for parking, that sort of thing. Ease of access is really important in a city as big as Melbourne, especially one that expands out as far as it does. And, yeah, one of the worst things about Sydney is its public transport system. And why would you want to limit the potential? If you were promising a train to the airport, you might win a fair few votes on the other hand. Yeah, I mean, like, competent service provision that's like the the whole the whole name of the game in, in victorian politics right it's like you know provide the the, the necessary public services that, that like victorians want and you'll probably win election like it's what i uh, you know, it's what dan andrews has, has won on the, the past the past two times um and, and it seems to be like like a pretty like a pretty good formula historically um and and just you know uh, opposing what seems to be like a popular policy um, in place of a policy that, like, you know, has just been one of the, oh uh, yeah, one of the more divisive sort of uh, clusterfucks of the of the past few decades. Like, I don't know, it just doesn't. I, I don't think there's, there's much there. Um, yeah. I think another thing that they could like actually start to promise, and something that would help the with their bases with rural voters, um, which are still important because they could win a couple of seats back. Uh, in the regions is trying to improve, like literally improve the public transport infrastructure um, in those regions, both by way of like the bus systems, but also like with the V-line, because there is definitely issues with V-line. There has for a long time been issues with like the Seymour route um, and everything that's along Seymour, Shepparton, Aubrey, that kind of thing. Um, and if you make that line less terrible, um, more reliable, you, you're going to pick up votes that you possibly were losing. I get that, like, those specific seats are pretty much Liberal seats, but also Bendigo is now a Labor seat, and that's a seat that they probably do need to win back to supplement some of the seats that they are losing to independence in this election because there is also that very real risk that they're going to go down to quite a few independents. I think public transport will be like a really big issue at the upcoming Victorian election um, based on this and then all the other public transport issues that have been occurring for the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, who wins and what happens to the transport industry in Victoria. (laughs) 
Yeah, especially because I think um, 2024 is when the next uh, phase of uh, PTB contracts ends. Um, so that will that will be happening during the next term, I think. I'll you know, I might quickly confirm that if I can. Um, but yeah, so you know, there's going to have to be um, decisions made about who's going to be running, um, you know, the the, the various public transport um, systems within, within Victoria. And um, it's currently currently we've got um, I don't know, <laughs> I forgot the names. Yeah, but currently we've got people right running the trains, people running the trams. Um, and so we're going to have to choose. Um, yeah, we're going to have to decide whether we will stick with those corporations or. Uh, move on to others who we will, you know, bring in as the as the franchisees um, as part of our system. So, um, yeah, you know, who who who's in charge of Victoria um, could end up really determining the um, the path of public transport for like the next like decade or so. Yeah, and I mean, what's definitely not going to help the Vic Liberals in this upcoming election is uh, some of their pre-selection drama. Now, this went down about a month ago, um, but we're just getting to it now because we've found out about it uh, this week. Um, slash, it's been a slow week. And I think that the Vic Liberals definitely haven't learnt any lessons from the federal government's loss last month because... To replace Bernie Finn, um, the Vic Liberals have selected Moira Deeming, who is basically just Bernie Finn but a woman. Um, she is anti-LGBTQ rights, anti-abortion um, rights, and, you know, also kind of a COVID conspiracy theorist, um, especially when it comes to the vaccine. Uh, meanwhile, they've also included Evan Mulholland, who is, you know, a member of everyone's favourite organisation, the Institute of Public Affairs. Um, I, The Guardian labelled it probably the best, saying that the voters don't want a culture war. I think that was the big lesson out of the federal election, is that that culture war kind of narrative stuff doesn't really fly in Australia. Um, a lot of Australians just think that the people that are trying to purely run on culture wars are dickheads and brush them off um, in favour of, in the case of Catherine Deves, uh, independence, and in some cases in the States uh, for Labor or Greens politicians. And this is potentially going to go in a similar way. I don't know if it's going to be enough at least for Bernie Finn's former seat uh, to completely shunt Moira Deeming out of the picture, but it's she'll be easy to run a campaign against in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I feel like there, there, there is there is a taste for like a little bit of culture war in, in Australia. You know, I feel like there's some people who are who are uh, you know really rare, raring for something to to get angry over within the sort of social justice sphere. Um, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be stuff like abortion or it's probably not gonna be stuff like COVID either. Really, um, we we seem to be pretty pretty you know uh, firm on those things. Um, yeah, so it's it's just it seems a bit dumb to to roll someone who's got such controversial views on on those topics in particular. Um, but then even even in addition to that, like looking looking back a few years ago, like twenty the twenty eighteen big election, um, you know they they tried to run a bit of a you know, culture warishing back then, right, over this, like, law, law and order stuff, um, you know, like, villainizing, like, um, you know, um, like, like, African gangs and all these sorts of things. And it didn't seem to work that well. Like, people like, generally rejected that message, and I feel like they're going to reject, like, you know, these sorts of messages as well. I completely agree. It's going to go that way, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the seat of Telemarine is... And it's not an insult to Mildura, but like somewhere like Mildura, where it is more culturally conservative um, and tends to stay culturally conservative, but a solid Labor or Greens candidate can sneak in with good economic and infrastructure policy. Telemarine is a place where you can rip votes just because of cultural nonsense, because younger people are going to move to the area or stay at home and age into the voting pool, that sort of thing. Um, you're still dealing with metropolitan voters um, and we're not talking Turak metropolitan voters where it's classic old money. It's people that are workers in a lot of sense. Um, Tullamarine is out near the airport. A lot of people that live in that area work at the airport, like that sort of thing. There's other industrial jobs there. Yes, it's going to pay off in some respects, but also it's 
going to just annoy people and say, oh, why are we like, why is our member in the news again about nonsense rather than things that actually matter? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But we've already talked about public transport in Victoria tonight. Um, and Sydney public transport has also made the news because uh the sydney rail line in particular is about to go on strike for about a month um and it's pretty comprehensive striking plans but one of the big things that will maybe excite some people that live in sydney is that the gates will be open at all train stations um that doesn't mean that public transport is free you are still actually supposed to pay for it and there will be ticket inspectors but uh, the drivers and other people involved in the Sydney train lines um, have basically said that the floodgates are kind of open in a sense um, and that people can get on to the trains uh, without paying. Just run if you see ticket inspectors, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we've got the, um, the, the public transport union there um, striking because of safety concerns, essentially. Um, so the New South Wales government uh, just haven't met their demands in terms of safety. I think these are these being related to um, like sort of maintenance of, um, of, of trains being like not, um, it's meant to be every month, but they're doing every like 60 days or something. Um, and then, and, you know, the, the public transport workers are clearly suffering because of that. Um, so they'll be striking for the next three weeks, essentially. They've got a series of strikes planned for those three weeks. Um, you know, and, and all the best of them, probably taking a bit of um, a bit of inspiration from, you know, like sort of yeah, the UK and the, the public transport strikes going going on over there. Um, and all the best of them as well. Um, yeah, because you know, I, I think they've got, they've all got solid justifications for striking here. Yeah, they deserve to work in an environment that's safe for them and then also provide a safe service to other people. Um, so it's really important that they are getting their demands met. Yeah, and, I mean, public transport is one of those things that does serve the community and it's good to see that whilst they are striking, um, they are not completely, like, preventing public transport from running um, because that would end up villainizing the union completely. Um, but this is, like, the probably fifth in a series of strikes in about 12 months because they did strike alongside the teachers and nurses unions as well as they threatened a strike um, and then the New South Wales government shut down the public transport system and tried to blame it on the unions um, and no one really bought it. So it seems like the general public is still fairly in favour of what's happening. I think that a lot of people kind of get it at this point but also at the same time are over the striking. Um, which that is kind of what I think the New South Wales government is baking on is that the appetite from the public will end up causing the union to buckle to pressure. But if you, if anything is to indicate from what's been going on in the UK, um, the public is well and truly going to end up being behind it because of the fact that if the rail workers can't get what they want and what they need in particular, um, it's not safe for the general public either to be taking public transport, um, in particular on the trains. Yeah, it's hard to say. Obviously, in the UK, like really excellent marketing for for those strikes. Um, I haven't seen, I haven't really seen any sort of marketing for for, for these strikes. So uh, I don't know, but I, I never uh, underestimate the uh, the capacity of the Australian people to just really fucking hate unions you know uh, <laughs> so um yeah i I'm, I'm not sure how um i'm not sure i'm not sure how how like how supported these tracks are i have no clue to be honest um hopefully they're, they're broadly supported um yeah i'm sure there's not going to really be any surveys taken anytime soon um so a lot of it will probably going to come down to like you know media presentation and, and these sorts of things i mean the media people are already sort of you know rallying against the strikes a bit Lots of uh, lots of dodgy headlines coming up from Sky News and and Nine News and, and the like. Um, so I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, because yeah, I just I just don't have a lot of faith in um in uh, the Australian people's ability to uh, to be supportive of workers on strike. They never underestimate the Australian public to enjoy free public transport. Um, and if you can get away with not having to pay to go to work every single day 
you'll lean a little bit more in favour of the strikers. Um, At the same time, I think it does depend on how hard they blitz um, ticket inspectors because if they the entire three weeks just constantly blitz and try to find as many people as possible, then there might be a little bit of a shift in the appetite. But also at the same time, everyone already hates ticket inspectors. So it's really just going to sour the appetite of like being like, what, you're taking advantage because of the circumstances? I think it'd be very different if people were not able to get to work. Um, That would change the game completely. I think that it makes it a more level playing field slash swings it in the union's favour a little bit um, with the fact that it's not going to stop people from going to work, but also people can try and be dodgy and get away with free public transport. (laughs) I mean, and also, like, not to mention, any time the, like, New South Wales government, like, is like, oh, my God, we're so sorry that we, like, did this wrong thing. What's their first response? Ah, a week's worth of free public transport. Like... It's their go-to, like, sorry in Sydney of, sorry we upset your feelings, you don't have to pay for the ferry this week. Um, and, look, in in two months' time, when this um, union potentially doesn't get what it wants because the New South Wales government is probably going to try and hold out until its prime, like, election time can win votes off that, Um yeah, it, this is going to keep going on and it's potentially going to be even more of a pain in the ass in summer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the striking action of all, yeah, a whole bunch of industries in New South Wales and across the country in general. Um, it, you know, and at one point it's going to it's gonna reach a real, um, a real, a real crisis point, uh, I would say, um, when you have, you know, a, teacher, a teacher union, public transport union, various other unions, um, they're just all striking, essentially, because they're just not the demands just aren't being met. Um, and I just, I, I'm, I just wonder how, how things will turn out then. Um, but a story this week that normally it would be apt for please explain or gaffs of the week, but we've included in our main titles, uh, comes from Finland because the Finland PM, uh, who is the youngest leader, uh, government leader in the world currently. Uh, has been criticised for enjoying her weekend with friends um, and recording basically what was TikTok dances, but I think it actually went on Instagram. Yeah, uh, I believe she's actually the second youngest, the youngest um, being Montenegro's um, head of state, I think, or whatever they have. Um, uh, president? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, we got, uh, we got Sanamaran, um, who's been the um, who's been in charge of uh, Finland for the past couple of years now. Um, she took power after the um, the the previous prime minister uh, was actually uh, fired after after um, a, a postal a postal worker strike. Funnily enough, um, the, uh, the postal work the postal work unions uh, were it looked like there was some sort of um, like a bit of a dodgy deal um, given by this prime minister. So uh, they they got him kicked out pretty much through through a general strike across the uh, across the entire union movement in Finland. Uh, very, very cool. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we need that happening in New South Wales now, I think. Um, yeah, um, just, yeah, you know, um, obviously the sort of, um, you know, the social conservative elements of Finland, um, Finnish society, making themselves known here, um, making themselves known to be really lame, I guess. Um, you know, all, all this is really re- revealed is just um, Finland has just, uh, you know, um, a, a, a really cool person as a as a, as a prime minister i think uh so just you know getting getting uh getting voted of nothing um yeah i i don't know oh what, what can you say um yeah she seems cool um and uh, <laughs> uh i don't know there's this getting more that she's like a fox you know it's like uh, i don't know it, it's just dumb yeah i don't think there's anything to get up in arms about but it seems that everyone is um there were reports that apparently she was taking drugs, but she's dispelled the claims. Um, but I right. think she should, just as any other um, person in society, she should be allowed to go out and have fun on her weekends. Just because she's prime minister, I don't think that should change anything. Yeah, I, I think there's a time and place for partying. Um, obviously, when your country's on fire, not a time or place to go on holidays, that sort of thing. 
Um, but enjoying a weekend with your friends and partaking in alcohol, um, which is what she claims is the only substance that she had. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that the assumption that like prime ministers and presidents are squeaky clean is insane. Like we know what Hawkey was getting up to some of the time. Um, let's not pretend that like other prime ministers haven't enjoyed a good beer in this country or in other countries for that matter. Um, as for the drugs thing, like the fact that she had to submit to a drug test is ridiculous. Um, like that's the starting point of like, that's stupid. The additional point is who cares? Um, I, I'm kind of of a decriminalized drugs, all drugs opinion. Um, so I lean way more left than other people do. But at the same time, like, let's not pretend other presidents and prime ministers haven't been doing or are currently doing drugs, like that sort of thing. They all have to take different vitamin cocktails to keep them up or send them down. Um, that was a big thing, especially like in the 60s and 70s. Um, and yeah, she's not, it's not like she's hurting anyone. It's not like there was a like, massive disaster that needed to be taken care of at the time and if there had been she has other people around her that could pick up the slack in the 12 hours that she needed to sober up yeah i think even with this video this was even before she took power if i remember i think this video is quite old um i might be wrong there um but i know there's been some other controversy with her um like like going to clubs and partying um, and I think that's that's uh, largely what prompted the drug testing and such. But yeah, it's just you know obviously the drug test just just you know it's far far too much of a step too far. Um, you know especially uh, I, I I would love to have like a you know like a head of government that like did ketamine or something you know like that would that would you know, that, that's 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 an everyman I can relate to you know. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and every man every woman um yeah i don't know um yeah just, i don't know it was dumb i think some of these sort of scandinavian countries have these um you know rather, rather harmful ideas around yeah around these sorts of things um being quite you know socially conservative at times um uh yeah so I, I don't, yeah but even then the same would probably happen in australia as well to be fair so well, what can you do um, Albo is potentially going to DJ for Fat Man Scoop. And can you imagine if Albo dared to drink a beer while DJing as Prime Minister? Like, it's if he ends up taking up this Fat Man Scoop offer, which it kind of would be awesome. It also kind of would be cringe. Um, it's going to be a scandal on, like, Sky News and News Corp in itself. The offer is, like, granted enough traction that, like, you can see it's going to be like, oh, he should be focusing on the job. Scott Morrison was lambasted. But, like, at the same time, it's a hobby. You're allowed to enjoy yourself. You also should do your job. If you do your job well enough as a political leader, you get a little bit of leeway um, to be a human being. Um, if you don't do your job well enough, that's when you get lambasted for um, having curry night on Sundays and all the other nonsense that Scott Morrison tried to use to betray himself as an everyman that came across as false. Um, but we might move on to a person that is definitely not an everyman or an everywoman, and that is Liz Cheney, because, uh, because she lost her primary to Trump-backed Republican Harriet Hageman uh, in what was a pretty uh, dominant defeat, to say the least, um, considering she had won Wyoming's uh, only district by like 50 points in the past um, and then had a like it was the equivalent of a 70 point swing against her. Um, I, I mean, there's so much that you can say about it. It is ultimately the comeuppance of the people that voted to impeach Trump following the January 6th insurrection because this is yet another domino that's fallen. But it's also the proof that Trump still runs the Republican Party uh, in the US currently, at least with the base. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Trumpism hasn't gone away. It's still very much holding sway within the party. It's a very, uh, very powerful strain of politics. So I don't see any, any, any reason why I would, why I would leave soon. Uh, but yeah, Liz Cheney really, uh, you know, um, come out on, on the uh, the bad end of it and now taking a real stand. 
I, I, you know, I kind of wish she'd taken a strong stand maybe before uh, she she got screwed over like this, but I don't know. She she did. Uh, I know she she made some comments, but um, but then yeah, now she now she's going you know real real proper um against Trumpism. I'm calling out um all the other Republicans for supporting the um the election fraud claims. Um, so you know that's that's respectable, of course, even if uh, politics are generally um are generally you know, despicable, I would say. Um, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, to sort of see the Republican Party splinter like that, and, and I know now she's thinking running as an independent. So, um, sort of a hint that there's very little space for this kind of, you know, just kind of like a classic neocon. Um, there's very little space for them in the Republican Party anymore. Yeah, and I mean, everyone's tipping that she's going to have a presidential run. Um. To which I guess the question is, which party um, is she going to run for in 2024? Because she's not going to win with the uh, Republican Party, that's for sure. Um, independents generally don't fare well. And so the final option is the Democrats. Um, and hey, maybe she and Tulsi Gabbard switch places as far as party alignment is concerned. But like this is the same thing but with actually a political backbone um, as Michael Bloomberg and other like neocon former Republicans running as Democrats just purely to beat Trump, but also to uh, isolate the progressive and leftist base within the Democratic Party. Because, I mean, if Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer haven't told them enough times already, they're not actually wanted within their own party. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, it's possible. I think, um, you know, in, in even in this case, like Liz Cheney is, you know, a more devoted Republican than probably any of the other people that are, um, that are running for the Democrats. I might Mike Bloomberg, he was, you know, I don't think he ever like ran politically for the Republican Party, right? Have I ever he was that? mayor of New York as a Republican, though. I, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Do, do mayors have political parties, really? I don't, I don't even know. Yes, but no, but yeah, yes. that's yeah, like... that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's what I mean. Um, where you know, um, yeah, okay. Um, so now I've lost my train of thought. Where am I? Sorry, um, oh, I don't know. I asked you a question, so um, <laughs> 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 uh, so where was I? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Liz Cheney, you're a really devoted Republican, right? Um, you know, um, and I wonder if she would be willing to make some of the compromises she'd probably need to make to run in a in a Democrat primary. Where yeah, even someone like Mike Bloomberg, right? Like he was still willing to um take, you know, moderate action on climate change or to make promises to do so. Um and you know, to offer some sort of basic other sort of progressive-ish reforms, right? Um, and I wonder if, if, if Liz Cheney will be willing to do those sorts of things. Um, because, yeah, she hasn't really been willing to in, in, in the past and in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I think also what it shows, and whilst someone tried to claim that, like, oh, there's now no Bush, Bushes, no Cheneys, no Obamas, no Clintons, um, despite the fact that, Cory Bush is still in office. It's just a different Bush family. Um, there is not the same appetite for political dynasties in the United States as there once was. Um, and Liz Cheney, whether she runs as a Republican, Democrat or um, an independent, I think is kind of going to just get the Hillary Clinton treatment in the sense of it's a little bit sexist and people are going to just shit on her for being a woman, but also um, they're going to shit on her for being related to her dad. Um, and <laughs> like the fact that she has a history in office, there's, there's so much. I, I don't think that she is electable um, as far as a presidential campaign for the Republicans, Democrats or independents full stop. Um, I guess she can run as a spoiler candidate in the Republican field, but I don't, actually understand who she spoils um in what the assumed field is because everyone knows that it's going to go down between trump and ron DeSantis if they both run yeah 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 I, yeah i don't think there's much of a chance with cheney i think her political careers i i think she'll probably go for something else so i think once that once she fails in her next pursuit whatever that is i think it's basically over right i just don't see where she goes from here really 
Um, and that's, I think that's all there is to say about this change. Naomi, do you have anything? Sorry, I don't know that's American a- politics all that well. <laughs> that's okay. Um, and back to Australia, um, East Timor has made a not so subtle threat that they will start working with China if Australia keeps pumping gas into the East Timor Sea, um, which, like, whether you think that that is a realistic threat or not, it is actually a pretty good threat considering how Australia jumped into action once it was revealed to the public um, the, demil- the deal with, is it small? Solomon Islands, uh, in the deal with the Solomon Islands. Um, I, I don't think anything is going to come to it. I don't necessarily think it's an empty threat. I think it is going to, at the very least, make Australia pay attention, which is a positive thing for the region, um, despite the fact that we don't really want China getting involved in East Timor or any other close neighbours to us. Yeah, so so basically what, what's happened is we've got the um, East Timor's president, uh, Jose Ramos Horta, um, who's um, you know, he's basically issued a bit of a warning saying, um, that if Australia um, chooses to back um, a gas pipeline from the Timor Sea to Darwin instead to his instead to East Timor Southern Shore, uh, then they're going to uh, strengthen their relationship with China um, and probably seek some kind of like Chinese support in like acquiring the the gas pipeline arrangements that, that they want. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think <laughs> there's a pretty clear path forward for for Australia here, right? Um, it's it's the yeah it's the Timor Sea it's, it's their region. Um, it's in it also it's East Timor like the I think I think they're literally the poorest country in the world right or like some suddenly approaching that. So that is not the sort of country that needs um any you know any more raw of a deal than what they've already been dealt. Um, especially as Australia's already like screwed them over a bit in the past with you know various sorts of um dealings with, with, with indonesia and you know um uh, dodgy surveillance stuff as well um so yeah i don't know yeah i think it's a clear path forward we, give 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 the team race what they want um let, let, let them have the gas um i say yeah you know um i just yeah australia i just i just we don't need the gas as much as they do i reckon um uh, yeah i reckon we, we should be focused on sort of solar consolidating our renewable energy uh base anyway so yeah i think we should let them have it it's just it's easier to back out before i guess things go wrong <laughs> and it could go really wrong so yeah, it, it's a little bit like what's going on is that um, it's kids playing their divorced parents off of one another of like <laughs> being like, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to go and tell dad that this, this, this and this, um, except it's China and Australia or China and Australia and the United States a little bit. Um, as I I don't see anything wrong with giving um, the Timorese what they want. I do understand that it can potentially set a dangerous precedent in the Pacific of just being like any time Australia or the United States don't do exactly what these countries want, um, they just go, well, fine, we'll go to China then. But they finally actually have genuine bargaining power by doing that um, and they should be able as sovereign nations to advocate how they want um, and have the capacity to get deals that benefit them and not just strictly benefit the likes of Australia, the United States, and also China. Um, so there is, there's positive aspects to it. There's negative aspects to it. As Joel said, I think that Australia should be very much focusing on its renewable energies uh, targets and that sort of thing. Because on Friday for like half an hour, uh, solar was our greatest like energy producer um, in the country. It briefly overtook coal for 30 minutes on a Friday afternoon. But that should be something that we should be aiming for to be happening regularly for the majority of the day, every day. Um, It's not like it was particularly sunny on Friday in some parts of the country, but at the same time, we could be a great um, renewable energy nation and yet we're still focusing on coal and gas. 
Yeah, yeah, especially because it's it's gas that can very easily just go to a country that actually needs it, right? Um, who a country that might just uh, I'm not sure about the energy situation, but I'm sure they might. Um, maybe, yeah, getting good renewable energy might be a bit more difficult for East Timor than than it would be for like us, for instance, right? Um, so yeah, um, and then you know, um, yeah, I think it's quite yeah, there, there. There is an element of good to the fact that the, these countries can now. Yeah, bargain effectively can assert themselves um, far more powerfully within the region. I do wish that didn't come um, because of the fact that um, yeah, th there's been the rise of a, a genocidal authoritarian ethno state within the region. Um, but, but hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, not the the best sort of uh, status quo. But you know, at least there's still something that they can bargain with um, because they they were really lacking that um, up until now as well. Yeah, and our last main news story for this week um, is a story about an assassination because uh, Russian, I don't think he's actually an oligarch, but Alexander Dugan, his daughter was assassinated in a car bombing on, uh, I want to say it was Saturday night, but like Saturday night Russia time. Um, and... It's one of those stories that it definitely hasn't flown under the radar, but I think that people are semi underestimating the importance of it because of the fact that people have stopped paying attention to the war in Ukraine because elements of it have been encroaching on Russia's doorstep for a while now. And Dugan's daughter isn't just a like political figure's daughter. She has her own political capital in her own right. Yes, benefited off who her father is, but that's just how the system works. Um, and so someone that is fairly prominent um, and is definitely like close to other prominent individuals uh, getting assassinated on what, like a highway, I think it was, um, is it's by no means a small story, especially for a country that is currently at war with another country. Yeah, well, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so Alexander Dugan, um, yeah, funny last name. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, yeah, he's a, a political theorist within Russia. Um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a fascist, essentially, uh, like not even sort of within any sort of exaggeration of the term. He, he works within the field of fascist political theory. Um, and his political theory, uh, sort of, there's debate over this. It's it, there's debate over whether it simply aligns with Putin's uh, foreign policy agenda or whether it was a direct influence upon Putin's foreign policy agenda. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not like an expert, so I'm not, I won't weigh in on that debate. Um, but essentially, um, like this whole sort of um, expansionist, revanchist um, vision of Putin's is one that Alexander Dugin has. Uh, really offered like a theoretical justification for um, pretty much. Um, and so he's a really prominent figure within like the field of political theory. Uh, I've known about him for like for, like a few years. I've read a little bit of his work, um, and yeah, uh, he's sort of um, a bit of a meme, almost. Uh, <laughs> I would say. And then we've got his daughter, uh, Daria Dugan, um, and she um, is a journalist, um, and uh, she's also a supporter of Putin. I'm not sure um, like just how much exactly she aligns with her father. I don't want to you know, ascribe any similarities just because they're related, because they might differ in some important respects. Uh, but she's a supporter of Putin um, and a supporter of, like, the invasion of Ukraine and his various, you know, like, ethnic historical justifications for that. Um, yeah, and so now she has been assassinated. Um, and the Donetsk, uh, Donetsk, Donetsk, Donetsk uh, People's Republic, uh, one of the, the breakaway republics within, within Ukraine, um, they've gone and said, yeah, it's, it's Ukrainians, right? It's Ukrainians. Um, I don't think we actually know who did it yet. Um, so, you know, no one should really make any big claims about that. Um, but yeah, uh, just an interesting uh, sort of sequence of events in general. Um, and I, I, I wonder, uh, you know, where where things go from there. Uh, she's, you know, Daria Dugan, not like the most sort of important person. Um, obviously just, you know, a Putin supporter, maybe like some discursive power, but not necessarily someone with a great deal of institutional power within the Putin regime. So I wonder, like, will there be uh, an amping up of these assassinations? Will we be seeing uh, bigger and bigger figures having uh, attempts on their lives being made? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I have read something that said that it was actually intended to be for her father, Um Obviously, it's probably just speculation at this yes. point, but 
um, I guess that just adds to the whole Russia-Ukraine war and this saga just continues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah, I think you're correct. I believe it was actually meant for Alexander. I also, like, don't underestimate, like, how pissed off people in Russia are with prominent Russian political figures. Like, we saw at the initial outset of the invasion people protesting, people getting arrested and brutalised in Russian jails and prisons by their cops. Um, There would still be people in Russia that are not Ukrainian that actually are interested in trying to cause some sort of shift in Putin's regime to potentially topple it. Um, And is attacking the Dugan family necessarily going to do that? Probably not. We already know that Putin is an incredibly paranoid man and thinks all of his closest allies are out to assassinate him. Um, Similar to, I guess, the Soviet Union era leaders, um, because, hey, they were also trying to assassinate each other and were paranoid about the others assassinating them um but i don't know i don't think that it is reasonable to lay blame uh towards ukraine um there's definitely stuff happening more on the russian side of the border now than there was previously that there isn't a hell of a lot of reporting coming out about partially because people just aren't paying attention um but for it to get all the way to moscow um and to get this, like, for Ukrainians in particular to be getting this close to um, a political figure, in particular a prominent political figure's child, is a little less realistic um, than the, brief, like, the small skirmishes that are happening inside the Russian borders. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Ukrainians did it. Like, it would make sense. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think that they'd probably be fairly justified as well in that. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone should be making big claims about, about yeah. who's done it, really. Um, yeah, you know, it could be the Ukrainians. It could be, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, agitated within Russia as well. Uh, I don't know. It could be... Um, the Americans probably not. <laughs> it was it was on my mind. I was like, never underestimate the ability for this to have been the United States. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there, it's a, an angry book reviewer that didn't like a book of art. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we'll move on to gaffes of the week. And we've only got two of them this week. Uh, and the first one is former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who is doing his best Elon Musk impression by shitposting a bunch of memes, but instead of it being Twitter, uh, it's Facebook, and somehow they are actually worse than the memes that Elon steals on Twitter. Yeah, I've actually, I've only seen a little bit of this. Um, I think I I sort of happened to uh, skim through a a screenshot or something. What's he been doing? Um, so basically just stealing memes that other people are making about him in regards to his a million and one scandals. Um, the big one that he posted was about the Sushi Mango Boys, um, which I feel like it's just one of those like Australian comedy things that like only boomers really like the same way that like Housers is. Um, because, yeah, all of the memes are terrible. Um, and... I think that it's like maybe there is some tacit acknowledgement from Scott Morrison that if he starts posting memes about this scandal, um, in particular the five ministry positions, uh, it's going to ruin it for everyone else and then we'll stop making memes about it because, honestly, that I can't get enough of the, uh, like, Scott Morrison, like, every, like, uh, sorry, like a photo of Scott Morrison's cabinet and all of them are Scott Morrison. Or the, I think it's a new girl, um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine crossover, where it's like, oh, name five cabinet ministers from the Scott Morrison government. And it's just like Scott Morrison. It's like, yeah, that's on me. I made that too easy. <laughs> like that sort of thing. Those memes, hilarious. The ones that Scott Morrison's posting, it's it's cringe posting um, and not the fun kind of cringe posting. It's just genuinely cringe. <laughs> Yeah, you should get it to me. I've got the. Uh, I've been making some good students' politics memes recently, so you can. You know, my, my services are available. I'm sure I can. I can, I can conjure something up for. Him. I think he's trying to use it as like his. Oops, like 
look what I did. Didn't mean to give myself all those jobs, but I'm trying to make light of the situation. I'm an everyman. Just understand what I did and why I did it. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of like Clive Palmer in 2018, I think as well, um, when he like his Facebook account was just posting memes constantly and they also made that weird like video game briefly um, because, yeah, it's just sad old man um, trying to stay culturally relevant beyond his scandals because despite the fact that he claims to not pay attention to politics anymore, um, even though he's the member for Cook, uh, he's obviously dialed in enough to be like being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get traction off these memes. And the worst part is, is there is boomers on Facebook that are trying to act like it's funny when it's it's just cringe. It is worse than minion memes at this point. Actually, he should post minion memes now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, minions, mean, minion memes are like, okay, now I think they're <laughs> But he would be Guru and then all the minions, right? I feel like it, yeah. <laughs> that's that's how he would ruin it, is that he'd just, like, post it as the wrong thing. Um, and the other one that still involves Scott Morrison technically is a journalist uh, in a press conference, I think it was right after um, Morrison's press conference, referring to Prime Minister Albanese as Mr Morrison. And I'm going to say, Albo took it pretty well. Um in that he just made a joke about it um, because I think the journalist initially was quite embarrassed by what happened, at least judging by her own reaction. Yeah, it would definitely be an awkward mistake to make, um, but I'm sure the journalist was fine afterwards and he definitely handled it in the best way possible by making his jokes about all the portfolios that, Scott Morrison has. Um, yeah, it happens. I'm sure. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, not, no, not too much. To, no, nothing to make much of. I think it's the reverse of um, Morrison calling the journalists Mister Speaker, which it's again, it's just a brain fade of like someone like it, muscle memory in a way of being like, yeah, this is how like. This is what I've been so used to doing. I think that the funny part about this actually is the boomers that got upset at Albo's reaction um, of being like, oh, he's milking this scandal for all it's worth, like all that sort of thing, to which like it was right after Morrison's speech. Um, And if it was a month after this all went down, I'd be like, yeah, you're milking it. But the fact that it's still inside the first couple of days of it all happening, it's it's more just funny than anything. It's a little bit cheeky, um, and it's not harmful by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like he said something that was defamatory. He's not holding any of those ministerial positions, so who cares? Yeah. Um, but we'll move to please explain. And our first item is someone that we've talked about in the past. Uh, probably in Please Explain as well, because he's generally a dishonourable mention. Um, and that is Avi Yemeni, who has been banned from the country of New Zealand, um, which he tried to get into. Uh, and he's now crying about it across his own social media platforms and the Rebel News platforms who he works for. Um, because, you know, being banned from a country for being a criminal when you constantly advocate for people that are crim- not, uh, sorry, constantly advocate that people shouldn't be coming into the country you're living in because there might be criminals is it's pretty fucking hilarious. I've got to say, I love a little bit of irony on my Mondays. Yeah, I believe he is blamed, said I don't personally, which I found quite, quite funny. I believe it in his letter, he actually mentioned it, my name. He's like, Jacinda Ardern is keeping me out of the country. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's quite funny. He's obviously Jacinda has become a bit of a, a, bit of a boogeyman to these people. Um, but, yeah, I'll be many uh, convicted wife beater. Uh, should probably be kept out of most countries. Um, yeah, I should... Probably, you know, should, you know <laughs> should people should probably keep a strict eye on him, to be honest. Uh, he seems to be a very uh, violent and aggressive person uh, from all the footage I've seen of him. So, you know, it's always, always good when he, get, when he gets banned from a country, I think. Yeah, it's an understandable choice. I would ban him from any country. 
Yeah, I think he knew that he was going to get banned, like that he wasn't allowed to enter New Zealand. And that was the point of attempting to enter New Zealand because a lot of what Avi does is build up rage clicks to get sponsorship or like funding dollars. Um, so people donate to him and be like, oh my God, Avi, poor you, I'm with you, blah, 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 blah. Like it's ridiculous. Um, but it works because he gets arrested at every single protest he goes to, no matter whether he is on the side of the counter-protesters or the side of the protesters. He makes an effort to do that despite claiming to be a journalist um, and having a job for a right-wing news organisation. Whether you actually want to count Rebel News as news, it's what they claim to be. Um, Him getting banned from New Zealand is a bonus. Kind of wish that he could get banned from this country, but he's a citizen, so unfortunately we kind of have to keep him. Um, but we can make his life harder by just being mean to him on social media, basically. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> he has uh, started a petition um, to try and get into New Zealand and is asking for donations to help him get back in for his legal battle. Um, I'm not sure why anyone would donate to that, but I'm sure there's someone out there crazy enough to do it especially with his following. I for one hope it's a change.org petition because they always work super well, super effective change.org. Um, anytime you see that on your like Facebook feed or Twitter feed, you should definitely sign them because it's totally going to get you what you want, whether you're advocating to a corporation or to a government. Um, if you can't tell by my tone that it's completely sarcastic, uh, those sort of petitions are Functionally useless, don't bother with them. Um, don't bother signing a petition or donating towards RV either. But they a little bit with the whole idea of petitions. If it's not running through some sort of reputable channel, um, it's probably not going to do much of anything aside from add your name to a database um, that could get sold for money. Um, and a lot of people make those petition, uh, petitions being well-meaning but that doesn't mean that it's going to work by any means um and the websites that the petitions make are definitely selling your information on um so if it's one of those australian parliament petitions sign those ones but don't sign the ones that are from like nonsensical websites that ask for like five dollars to help promote this petition further (laughs) um and our second please explain item for tonight uh, goes back to the Trump raid in Mar-a-Lago by the FBI because, oh boy, the conservatives um, not have any clear-cut messaging still um, in the sense of all of their excuses will come out all at once um, and there's just, it's a complete logical fallacy because if you listen to Tucker Carlson or any other conservative commentator, it was... Um, a false raid, the evidence was planted, but also Trump declassified that information because he wanted to, but also it's not real top secret information. Um, plus you can take home or work home with you on the weekend, but also it was Antifa or BLM or something else. And also though, don't forget the evidence was planted despite the fact that Trump declassified it already if it was there. Um so I, I love how conservative brains work sometimes. And this is one of those times where I particularly enjoy it because I'm just like, just pick, just pick two like of your options. You've got so many and yet you can't consistently stay on like even two messages um, that would seem less crazy than what they're doing currently. Yeah. I mean, it's just laughing for stuff, right? It's just taking, taking whatever you can find and just, just using that. Uh, string it together in any way that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say works, but uh, has, has the semblance of, of, of function, uh, so, <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're just trying to overload it with excuses to hope, I guess, one of them passes as logical, but I don't know if any of them really are. Yeah, it, it's very much... Um throwing everything on the wall to see what sticks kind of logic. Um, And the dangerous part is, is that it's coming from uh, 
voices that are trusted by conservatives. Um, so your Tucker Carlson's, but at the same time, like, I think that even if you are a conservative that is capable of critical thinking, you, you can pass through it enough to be like, uh, hang on a second. It's either one or the other. Obviously not the people that are like protesting outside of like field offices for the uh, FBI um, in Arizona and other states. But I like to think that most people are at least somewhat intelligent enough to be like, it's it's a little bit dodgy. While I don't agree with the raid, if you're on that, like, if you're on that side of being like, I don't agree with the raid, um, and it's for this reason, this reason, and this reason, I think that most people still get that, like, it can't be that it was both planted and he declassified them. Like, just just pick one or the other because the he declassified it in his mind but didn't tell anyone narrative was kind of working for them to start off with. <laughs> No comments. No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. So Joel, Naomi, would you like to share your social media handles? Cool. Uh, Joel W. Duggan on Twitter. And mine is just Naomi Newcomb on Twitter. And you can find me at Dodzy161 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, this has been Edge of the Election. You can find us at Edge Election Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Edge of the Election is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd at Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, pretty much everywhere on social media, basically. You can also read any of our articles, uh, be they about politics, sport, or culture at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.